Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is the show where we watch Legion. Get it? Because no. wa- like no. a clock is a watch. No. It's a kind of a clock. No. They carry around in your vest. The problem at this point is that I actually have absolutely no idea what clock puns I've done before. I probably have said that one before because it's kind of an obvious one. No. But it's a pretty good one, don't you think? Pretty sure. funny. Hilarious. So we're talking today about... <laughs> I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Dan Moffat. Yeah, we said that. Did we? Yeah. I didn't say my name. You did say your name. I'll play it back. At this point, I'm going to just... When I'm editing, I'm going to play it back. And then when you listen to it eventually, you'll see. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. We're talking about Season 3, Episode 2 of Legion, which is Chapter 21, and we are calling this episode Charlie Brown. This episode was written by Noah Hawley and Olivia Dufault and Kate Thulin, and it was directed by Carlos Lopez Estrada. Noah Hawley, of course, we know. Olivia Dufault has a bunch of credits as a story editor on Preacher, and two writing credits on Preacher, and then this credit. Um, and Kate Thulin has only one other writing credit, an episode of the TV series Corporate. Both Default and Thulin are credited as co-producers on Legion. And remember, I think this wasn't... I can't remember whether this was true in Season 2, but in Season 1, all the writers were credited as producers or co-producers. Awesome. Carlos... Lopez Estrada has directed a handful of TV episodes and one feature film, but he seems to be best known as a music video director, and he's Mm. directed a bunch of music videos for big-name pop stars in both uh, the U.S. and Mexico. Hmm, interesting. So do you want to take us through the beat-by-beat? I sure do. So we're back to ostensibly on Legion, (laughs) which I love. So on the plane... Sid stands at a window as the song Charlie Brown plays and David meditates in a cave. A toy plane brings the Legion credit across the screen. In David's commune, people do drugs and Switch listens to her time travel lessons. In a room with with giant bird nests of people and a giant clock, Switch sits and Lenny takes her headphones from her. Lenny threatens her, saying that she works for her and Lenny works for David. David sits on a porch, listening to the voices in his head. Switch sits with him, and David asks her about time travel. Switch opens a doorway to the hallway to time travel, but David can't go with her. She attempts to draw him through with no luck, but David thinks that someone can help. So first, like, that ostensibly on Legion, this is... I don't... I, I, man, I am getting confused. We've heard ostensibly on Legion before? Question mark? Yes, it was all throughout season two. Season two had all kinds of different instead of previously, yeah. like, apparently on Legion, ostensibly on Legion. I just had a moment where I couldn't remember whether that gimmick happened on Legion or Fargo. No, no, it definitely happened on Legion. It definitely happened on Legion. That's what I hoped and that's what I thought. <laughs> I just had a moment. Um... 
And, like, we don't need to hash it to death, but ostensibly on Legion, just like Please Stand By, is drawing your attention to the fact that it's fictional and is encouraging you not to trust what you've seen. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we are claiming this is what happened on Legion. <laughs> yep. Uh, use your own critical judgment to decide what actually happened and don't just trust what's on the screen. And at the same time, what's on the screen is all that there is because it's a fictional world. And the credits, we see, like, we open on Sid is on that striped airplane. Mm-hmm. And then the credit scene uh, happens after we have seen her on the plane. And it's a toy plane uh, flying by with the Legion banner. Mm-hmm. It's just like all the toys and toys and robots at the end of last episode. Yeah, and they're very, like, that kind of, like, tin toy look to them. Mm-hmm. They're kind of, like, from the same genre, if you consider toys a genre. <laughs> yeah, totally. They could easily be, like, the toy plane at the beginning of this episode could easily be in a set with the toys from the last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed completely. And it feels like those represent Switch, in a way, because it has to do with her father having toy robots. You think so? Because... I would have said that at the end of the last episode, but then now it's a, the plane is a toy. Yeah. Switch isn't on the plane. Yeah, that's true. It's just, again, maybe suggesting, in imagery, suggesting that these characters are unreal. Mm-hmm. Playthings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what that could maybe have be, like, ominous in the sense of within the narrative world, David and arguably Farouk are treating these characters as playthings but it's also a meta commentary that the actors the sets the everything is a plaything for the uh noah holly and the crew of yeah legion who are making a thing to play for fun mm-hmm. you absolutely know? so we get confirmation in this episode that the the language she's listening to is mandarin yes because she says that well she says chinese when uh Lenny goes to listen to the headphones. Her lessons in time travel, what she's listening to, is chapter 20 this time. Mm-hmm. Chapter 20, Consequences. We heard chapters 13 and 14 last week, so we've skipped ahead. Mm-hmm. And, like, consequences. And then the talk is all, like, consider the consequence of your actions. Not all temporal interactions go as planned. And, like, I feel like it is... As conspicuously as possible, telling us at the beginning of this episode, this episode's going to be about consequences. Yes, it sure is. Also, chapter 20 of Legion, obviously, was last week's episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. So what do you make of the whole Japanese-Chinese moment? There's something about Switch that Lenny doesn't understand. Hmm. There's lots Mm -hmm. of things about Switch that Lenny doesn't understand, and so she, like... Grabs the headphones and she's like, what is this, Japanese? I'm like, no, it's Chinese. And she then she Lenny launches into her like, you work for me and I work for him. I'm the one who's in charge here kind of thing. And like, she just doesn't get it. They're like literally not speaking the same language. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Yeah. And like, not him. And not only are Lenny and... Uh... <laughs> Not only does Lenny not 
understand the language that Switch understands. She doesn't even know what language it is. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. She says, Lenny says that she's the major domo. Mm-hmm. Major domo sounds Japanese, uh, especially because Lenny just put it in our heads, Japanese, uh, but it's not. Domo here is short for domestic. Mm. So the major domo mean is like, comes from Latin ultimately, and means like the servant in charge of the other servants. Right. So she's like the head domestic servant. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting place to... That's an interesting position to place herself in. Yeah. She's definitely, like, subservient to David this season in a way that, like, she never has been. First no. season, she was, like, in charge of David, practically. Yeah. And then the last season, she was just... I don't know. She was trying to find David. And this season, she's under him. Like, last season, she would have, I think, described them as friends. Yeah. And first season, yeah, she was at best manipulating him. Mm-hmm. And at worst, like, tormenting and dominating him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting, too. Their power dynamic has totally changed. And then Lenny continues, just like in last episode, to try to intimidate Switch and continues to be basically unsuccessful at it. Yeah, exactly. The things that Lenny said, or the things that Switch says, she answers, by the way, she answers in Japanese. Mm-hmm. After Lenny's like, is this Japanese? No, it's Chinese. Here's Japanese. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, the words that she says are very subservient, but her affect, the way that she plays that, is not at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she doesn't seem cowed by Lenny, like, even a little bit. Mm-hmm. I also, like, what is the deal? You mentioned it in your recap. What's with the birds and the nest and the bird's eggs? Yeah... Well, this seems to be a land of giant animals. Right? We've got a giant sow, and now we have giant nests that they're living in, or like hanging out in. <laughs> they're like having an orgy, right? <laughs> Am I, mean, I wrong? Maybe. Maybe just getting high just and getting snuggling. getting high? I don't know. <laughs> Unclear. Don't really want to think about it too hard. Um. So yeah, everything, it's like they're miniature people. Hmm. This is a lot like... Uh, we have the miniature toys. These are David's playthings. And right. Lenny and Switch aren't in that part of it. But the rest of them are all in this tiny world. Like Lenny and Switch are both in the room, but they're, yeah, they're on a different plane. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hmm. So you've got giant clocks and giant bird nests and a giant sow. And maybe they're not giant. Maybe all these people are small. They're David's little dolls. They're, yeah, exactly. And they have no personalities, no minds of their own. They're all just manipulated and under his influence. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed the room has a window that is like a peacock's tail. Yeah, there's it a big peacock. It made me think there's a lot of bird imagery, actually, already. Mm-hmm. Two, se- two episodes in, there's a lot of bird imagery in this sh- season. There's like... Uh, Switch's yellow feather feathered jacket from the last episode. Yep. 
And now giant nests and giant eggs and peacock windows and... What's with the birds? What's with the birds? I'm not sure, but I think we should pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. This part, we get David talking uh, about, I'm a good person, I deserve love, and this is a sentiment that gets echoed at least three times mm-hmm. in this in this episode. Uh, he just keeps, you know, the first time we ever heard him say that, it, it was kind of cute. He was drawing on the chalkboard, he was, you know, talking about his parents abandoning him, and he was like, no, I'm a good person, I deserve love. And now it's like... The first time he said it, he said, I am pretty, I am loved. Oh, I'm pretty, I am loved. He didn't say he was a good person the first right. time. Right. I forgot that. I'm pretty, I am loved. But yeah, I totally think you're right to connect that, yeah. this to that. But the language of it has changed. Yeah. So I'm a good person. I deserve love. Is just suddenly this is his mantra. It's all about love, but it's about him deserving mm-hmm. love. Yeah. And deserving like the love of his commune little people obeying him world. Yeah. I think we'll get more into that at the end of the episode with what Carrie says, but there's a lot going on. I just want to point out every time he says that. Totally. What does he mean when he said, what does he, yeah, what is in his head? What does he mean when he says he deserves love? Mm-hmm. Because I was, we were just talking in a totally different context about we don't need to, sh- to uh, call them out. But some pop song we were just talking today about, like, it's great, but this singer does not seem to understand at all what love is. Yeah. And that's a common, like, people have very different conceptions of what love is. Yeah. And what they mean when they're, what they actually are looking for when they are looking for love. Mm-hmm. Hmm. At the end of this section, David says they just need to turn up the volume on Switch. And that's just like at the beginning of the first season, Melanie teaches David in episode two, Melanie has David turn down the volume. Yeah. Like with a volume knob. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting connection between this and what David has learned. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that David uh, put the thought in Lenny's head that she's yes. hungry. That was creepy. Yeah, for and sure. And like, she doesn't want to leave. She's she's all threatened. And then he's just like, you're happy now. You're going to go to snack. And it completely works. And there's something like, through this episode and the last episode, like Aubrey Plaza's playing Lenny's smiles, you know, very creepy. I mean, manically, manic for sure. And her eyes are so creepy mm-hmm. or unsettling. And it's partly because they don't go with her face, but it's also partly because she is just never smiling with her eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Like she's got a crazed look in her eyes, no matter how happy her mouth is. Yeah. And we have kind of an explanation of that right now. Mm-hmm. That David is telling her she's happy. Right? Yeah, exactly. So David knows someone who could help, and we immediately switch to Carrie. In his lab, Carrie is watching Squirrel, who is tied to a chair in a glass room on the plane. 
He is threatened by Clark, who asks him where the house is, where David is, and when Squirrel can't answer, Clark sends him plummeting from the plane. Carrie deploys a parachute to save him, and Squirrel winds up on the street where Lenny picks him up in a van full of girls wielding kitchen knives. (laughs) Division is watching the whole thing from the plane. By the house crater, Sid holds up the bloody tooth, and David appears to her. They talk about his commune, and Sid is not buying it. David tries to show her a vision of her in the psych hospital. He wants to undo everything, but Sid still thinks he's going to end the world. David gets angry, and all the blue drugs change to red. The hippies' dancing turns to fighting, and things change. First, I have to say how much I love in the scene with Squirrel and Clark on the plane. Mm -hmm. I love Squirrel's just general confusion, especially, like, there's a lot to like about that scene, I think. But my fav- one of my favorite parts is when Clark's like, the house that vanished. And Squirrel's like, that doesn't sound like a house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just like has no idea what's going on. No, he just does not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he sings, Daddy Mac will make you jump, jump. Is this just, like, what's the the deal with this? I'm not including this. I'm going to talk about music at the end of the episode, but Mm. this is dialogue. Like, he's quoting a song. It's not uh, undiegetic music that uh, sets the mood or or, um, context of the episode. It's like he in character is saying this. Why is he saying this? Is that, is it only here so that we can have the joke of... Daddy Mac will make you, and then he hits the button and he falls out of the plane? Or is there, like, why is he singing Daddy Mac will make you jump? I feel like it's both, like, possibly his mantra of, like, a song he likes to stop him from getting his mind read or whatever. Or getting, getting, like, telling them any information. I partly think he's just cuckoo pants. Mm Mm-hmm. And I partly think, like, he's just asking him to send him down. Like, right. Like, I'm going to jump kind of thing. Do you think that's unconscious? He's saying a song about jumping and Clark presses the button and, like, he maybe is... Yeah, uh, I don't know. He is afraid for his life, it's true. Yeah. He doesn't want to jump. It seems like quite a song to start singing when you're on a pressure plate yeah. about to fall out of the... Like, the one thought I had... uh is that crisscross wore their clothes backwards. And so crisscross uh, have things back to front and see things and are backwards people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the band that sings that, that, that uh, performed that song. And so like as a reference, as a musical reference, it's about things being back to front. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I just don't know. I also think in this scene, the other thing that really strikes me about this scene is how frightened Squirrel is of David. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's scared that Clark's going to push the button and drop him out of a plane. 
but only a little. Mm-hmm. He's really scared that Clark is actually David in disguise and this is all a big trick and he's like, I'm, I'm loyal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's a kind of a window into the minds of the people in the commune. Yeah. They're not all happy and in love. They're just hooked on the drugs and desperate. Hooked on the drugs, desperate and scared of David. They know that David can read minds and they are afraid, whether from precedent or just from imagination, they're afraid that he's going to manipulate reality and trick them to test their loyalty. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very culty, which yeah. we were we were explicitly told in the first episode. Is this a cult? Yes. Yep, it's a cult. Sid and David's conversation. It is the way David doesn't know who he is. Hmm. This is again. I feel like the theme of this episode is just gets stated at the very end. About Hmm. David's perception of himself and his actual self. Right, yeah. Are two different things. So we have him talking to Sid. And, you know, she's like your commune of underage girls or whatever. Or young girls. And he's like, jealous? And then he immediately takes it back. No, 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 I didn't mean that. Like, there's just like back and forth between... His, like, evil side and his side that he's trying to impress Sid with. And what's the real David? His mask and what's keeps the real... slipping. Yeah, his mask keeps slipping. And and then we see that visually when he flickers. Yeah. Right? Exactly. He's struggling to... Literally struggling to maintain the illusion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he... Because, uh, like... Um... Dan Stevens is a very appealing actor. Mm-hmm. And so when he's giving her the puppy dog eyes, you're like, aww. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm sucked in by it. And then it flickers. Yeah. And we see that, like, this is an act. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think you're exactly right. He can't reconcile. And what Carrie says at the end, he can't reconcile things. I don't think it's an act in the sense that he's li- actively lying. No, he thinks that's who he is. He thinks that's his real self. But we are seeing through it we're seeing it as an illusion in this moment mm-hmm. and in other points through the show but specifically in this moment and uh sid quotes margaret atwood that men are afraid women will laugh at them women are afraid men will kill them that's a quote from margaret atwood it's also a quote from a book called the gift of fear i don't know what's had it first oh is it yeah oh maybe i'm just i didn't look it up I've seen it credited to Margaret Atwood a lot. Maybe I'm wrong. Did you look it up? Or did you know that? I didn't that? look it up, but I knew it from the gift <laughs> of fear. Huh. So I looked it up. Uh, it seems, from the internet, it seems to credit both of them with it. But the gift of fear came out in 97. I think he said it first. Gavin DeBecker in the gift of fear said that quote first. Even in the, like, I looked up too. And the number one place I see it quote attributed to Margaret Atwood is in an interview mm-hmm. where she says, I asked a male friend. Mm. So like, the male she's friend a novelist, maybe she knows him. Yeah. <laughs> maybe there he's the male friend. Quite possibly. In any case, it doesn't matter, really. The point of that phrase 
is that men and women perceive the world very differently and their fears are very different and that the uh, consequences, to use the word at the beginning of the episode, the consequences that each are trying to avoid are different in their severity. Mm-hmm. And we see a power imbalance between David and Sid. And yet at the same time, Sid last episode did kill David. That's true. She did. did. Sid has this ability to see through David's mask. Yeah. We've seen it again and again. We saw it in season one with her being able to perceive about the mental institution that it was fake. We see her, we saw her last season seeing through David's, uh, lies we just again and again sid has special glasses yeah to see and i think that is both like she is perceptive in her character and it's also like an aspect of she has that perceptiveness because of her experiences literally walking in other people's skin Mm -hmm. right so she can literally see through other people's eyes yeah and even when she isn't using her power to literally do it, she has gained the ability to really understand where other people are coming from when she wants to. Mm-hmm. And she, we see that especially applied to David, but she kind of demonstrates it with other people too. Mm-hmm. Um, before this, I just want to... Um, when the... VW van, I don't know if it's actually VW, but it looks like a VW van uh, pulls up and Squirrel goes in, mm-hmm. in the scene before this. And the door opens and we have all these hippie women with kitchen knives. Mm. This is like a very upsetting allusion to the Manson family, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. And when Lenny offers Squirrel the drugs, she says, ho, ho, ho. Like, I don't know whether to make it, whether that's just, like, Lenny's nonsense or, like, how, like, you know, ho, 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 because she's established, she's uh, presenting herself as a gift-giving figure. But also, for all you uh, children listening to our hours-long podcast about Legion, maybe cover your ears, because Santa Claus isn't real. So she's presenting herself as a fictional gift-giving character. Hmm. Yeah. Right? And then the bus, too, is painted on top with this, like, bizarre cat. Yeah. Some kind of creature. And I think it's, I think it's the Cheshire Cat. Mm. Like, it's not Disney's right. Cheshire Cat. That makes perfect sense, given the next scene. It's this big, grinning cat. Mm-hmm. What is, and then, remember the other thing about this scene... The David, so back to David and Sid's conversation, he's struggling to, like, maintain the illusion. And when he gets really mad, the blue drugs turn into red. Yeah, and I mean, kudos to this show, because I kind of said in the recap that their dancing turns to fighting, and that's not exactly true. Because the blue starts to turn red, and we see it go red throughout the whole building house thing that they're in. And... We see the dancing hippies shift a bit and kind of flash back and forth, but they're not, they're like dancing harder. Yeah. They're not punching each other out. They're not, 
uh, suddenly killing each other, they're just, they've gone from happy dancing to angry dancing. Yeah. It's like a mosh pit. And yeah, not exactly. even. Yeah. But like, it's on the way to a mosh pit. Yeah. And so like, it's, I feel like you can see, because as a person watching this, you're getting the idea of like, oh, they're going to start like hurting each other and stuff, but it actually doesn't happen on screen. No, and possibly doesn't happen at all. Yeah, exactly. Like, they just, it makes them more riled up unless it's, it's, it turns from a depressant into a stimulant. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which I agree I, is like, you know, for a show, <laughs> for a show that literally paints the Cheshire cat on the top of the thing and has a... Uh, Jump means he falls from a great height in an airplane. It's they're subtle. <laughs> <laughs> About some things, they his, are subtle. His anger manifests by literally changing the color of the entire house. You know, subtle. <laughs> <laughs> Remember how Switch's headphones changed from red yeah. to white? Mm-hmm. And now we have changing from blue to red. Yeah. We talked a little bit about the color symbolism of the headphones. I feel like the color symbolism here is much more straightforwardly red is anger. Mm -hmm. Because we know, we can see that David is angry. Yeah. And red has always been associated with the Shadow King. In the first season, it was all red. It was always Shadow King. You're so right. And now this is kind of him becoming, possibly becoming Shadow King or still having that influence in his head. So that influence wasn't just Farouk. Mm Mm-hmm. In the Cheshire cat van, Lenny and drives up the coast, through a forest, through a desert, and then back to a forest again, and into a broken down barn. Lenny, Squirrel, and the women they're with go into the forest and have a Mad Hatter's tea party. <laughs> Lenny tries to get information out of Squirrel. But all he wants, really, is the drugs, which have now turned red. Clark and the Carries are waiting, and all the Vermilion are waiting in a van to capture David and Lenny. They go in and fight with the knife-wielding hippie girls, capturing them in a net. Who's a net? A net. Carrie has been waiting for them in the van, but is kidnapped by Lenny, who drives away. So... This Mad Hatter's Tea Party. First of all, before we get to that, I want to just say how very much I love the overhead shots of the van. Very small, driving across the landscape. This is pure no holly. Like, Like, that that is Fargo, that is Legion, that is like the... Those no- kind of shots. Noah Holly loves these faraway overhead shots. Mm-hmm. And like, so do I. Yeah, they're, they're beautiful. so good. Mm-hmm. They're just like, you know, take a, they're, they're just visually composed beautifully. And then they're also like, symbolically, we're establishing a context. We're seeing that the things that they're doing are small and mm-hmm. are also, we're representing them as alone. Yeah. Oh, it's, I really like it. Mm-hmm. Same. Sorry. So you were saying? Oh, just the this Mad Hatter's tea party. Yeah. That is, ex- like, 
not this talk about subtlety this is not <laughs> subtle even in the slightest this is very much like she's got the mad hatter hat they've got the tea they've got the table in the woods exactly like alice in wonderland this is alice down the rabbit, rabbit hole which we've referred to before yep this is an uh any kind of fiction that has a mental illness metaphors is coming up again and again in Legion, and Alice in Wonderland is one of them. And Lenny also mentions Oz. Mm, yeah. It's a mo- weird moment when she's dressed as the Mad Hatter, and it's Alice in Wonderland, and she talks about Oz. Mm-hmm. It's also brilliant. Lenny is like, Audrey Plaza is fantastic in this scene. I love it. I would, I would be down with a new live-action Alice of Wonderland where Abra Plaza is the Mad Hatter. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Squirrel, just like, everyone wants to know what he knows, and like, he knows nothing. (laughs) I know, He knows nothing. (laughs) He gets interrogated again, and he's still just as clueless. Yeah. Like, and everyone thinks that he's hiding things just want some drugs man (laughs) um do you notice that she calls him little bird Mm. so again again birds bird imagery Mm -hmm. little birds only get a treat when they sing Mm -hmm. and also she has a little flash of talking in the devil with the yellow eyes voice yeah right that's true it's again just like her growing the couch. She still has Shadow King powers. Yeah. Or influence or personality or whatever. Or something. Or something. Um The bong or whatever drug thing that he smokes out of mm-hmm. looks like Trump. Kinda. Does it? It's like a blonde baby in a suit <laughs> okay he's got a little top hat top he's got a little top hat no he doesn't have a top hat he has a top hat lenny says take off his hat oh. and then he takes off his hat okay i don't know for some reason i was like is this a trump illusion but maybe it's not maybe i mean they've always been smoking out of weird babies and animals so i was thinking is this the first human they keep smoking out of animals. No, we've definitely seen babies before. Okay. Yeah. I, the ones that are really stick in my mind are David and Lenny, who was actually Benny, smoked out of a frog. And Melanie smokes out of an elephant. Hmm. But there have been babies? In the background, yeah. Okay. I like to a lot when Carrie is like, they're doing the drugs. Clark is like, it's just Just drugs. drugs. What? Not the drugs. Just drugs. Just drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie is so, in his suit and in his whole affect, he's so like, the such a dork. And Clark is just like, you're embarrassing me. (laughs) (laughs) There's no one here but us and some robots, but you're still embarrassing me. Yep. I love it. We once again have uh, female Carrie being very like 
bloodthirsty, just wants to fight, and then is kind of disappointed that all they do is, like, drop a big net on the... <laughs> Although she's the one that calls for the net. Yeah, that's true. She's in charge. She's, yeah. like, running the mission. Yeah. I... The, like, we... I mean, I guess there was never any doubt because we saw it pretty clearly, but the red drug for sure has made Squirrel more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Like, he attacks them. He attacks Carrie. Yeah. Uh, and the squirrel we saw on the plane would not have. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, re- I also, like, the whole entire go out into the woods thing was all a trap for Carrie. It yeah. Just like, David says, I know a guy. And then it kind of seems like that's an irony cut where the director is making a connection, but we are but it turns out that's like what david is i mean obviously we knew who david was thinking of but it turns out like this is yeah. narratively the same strand this isn't a different subplot no this is exactly his plan yeah just to lure them out into the woods so that lenny could kidnap carrie yep so we cut to farouk sitting at a piano playing o tannenbaum like schroeder in peanuts yeah uh he's surrounded by men in drag drag queens or or extremely muscular women but they all seem like they are men in drag wearing like 1920s dresses and it just keeps drawing out further and further showing more and more of them until sid asks if, if they can talk sid talks to farouk and they discuss david that he claims he's the victim. Farouk says they must stop Switch first before they can defeat David. Farouk encourages Sid to be a lover to David to sneak up on him, but Sid refuses. I paid attention on my second watch to all the people around Farouk, and it seemed to me, and again, we're on shaky ground because... uh, you know, gender is a construct and people present in ways and that aren't necessarily obvious and you try to parse and read through it, you're apt to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. But it seemed to me like the people closest to Farouk presented as more masculine and the more we pulled out, the more they presented as feminine. Hmm. That might be true. I can see where you're saying that. I don't know what to make of that. No. At all. <laughs> It's all in black and white as well. It's it's black and white uh, color palette, but it's color film. Yeah. Just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, are those people real? That's really my question, I guess. Are those actual people? I think, well, that he's not in a place playing a piano. Right. He's in his own head, or he's in, like, the astral plane or whatever. Or or he's manifest, like, yeah. So you're saying you think they're not actual people? No, they're I don't like think so. They're, like, set dressing in the same way as the piano is. Or they're people like uh, Oliver and Lenny were people in his head. So yeah. they might be actual people, for all we know. People he has eaten in the past. People he has eaten. And then Farouk and Sid have this conversation about strategy. 
it's kind of you said that the theme of the episode is clear at the end of the episode but sid almost states it right here mm-hmm. like he doesn't see himself oh and and farouk almost states it right here like he doesn't see himself the way we see him and he sees himself as the villain and farouk says that's why he's dangerous he has victim. a false reality what did i say villain oh, he sees himself as the victim and farouk says he has a false reality i'm the victim here i know it's like fargo <laughs> That's a, I mean, if you haven't watched Fargo, in every season of Fargo, the most villainous character will say at one point, often several times, I'm the victim here, which is also from the movie Fargo. Mm-hmm. So, like. This is, like, David saying that, too. Noah Hawley has a history of telling stories about people who see themselves as the victim and that it just makes their behavior less morally uh, justified. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's like, I mean, in the, go, I'm, I'm going back a little bit, but I'm still thinking about Sid's conversation with David and maybe hear Sid reflecting on it that like, when Sid says to David, it doesn't matter what you did, it's who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, this is an episode about who David is, and it's also an episode about consequences. And all David's time travel ideas are all about, like, avoiding consequences. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go back and undo it so that, not so that, like, not in, re- in out of repentance, but out of avoiding the consequences. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that, like repentance is possible in theory but only on the other side of consequences not as an alternative to consequences and the paradox is that although sid hates him now in theory he might be able to make amends and maybe even earn her love again but to do so he would need to accept that he's lost it and deserved to lose it and go through the consequences of it it's like the paradox that he can only regain her trust if he in go he if he uh undergoes personal growth that isn't for the sake of regaining her trust but is for his own sake mm-hmm. right absolutely and that's a paradox like that's a genuine paradox of people's actions i had a conversation with someone this week where we were talking about morals and ethics and carnal forbearance um that's a simpsons <laughs> the carnal forbearance part is a simpsons reference we weren't really talking about that but we and i said like the paradox of human behavior is you make yourself happy by putting other people first but if you're putting other people first to make yourself happy then you're not putting other people first (laughs) so it only works if you actually put other people first yep if it's a trick you're not going to trick yourself yeah and this is like david wants sid says david wants to do a trick Mm-hmm. His mantra of I deserve love is paradoxically exactly what prevents him from deserving love. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And that comes back to this, like, he sees himself as the victim and that's what makes him so dangerous. Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> Farouk's not undangerous. What are they doing? I mean, it's weird because Farouk has a point here 
Yeah. That the way to get close to David is through relationship, not mm-hmm. through like sneaking up on him with soldiers. Yeah, for sure. That if Sid wanted to, she could pretend to be his lover and stab him in the back. Yep. Um, but Sid is refusing to do that. And I think Sid is right to refuse to do that. But definitely Farouk is not wrong in that he keeps talking about, you know, this is, I can teach you how to lie so well that when David, when you stab David in the back, he'll thank you. Yeah. And that's like, (sighs) pretty villainous. And I see it as like, Farouk is actually being very charming in his own way. Mm -hmm. I mean, like he's never, he's never, he's never puppy dog eyes charming. No. Well, we never see his eyes. Exactly. But he is likable. Mm-hmm. You kind of want to believe him because he's very yeah. charming and very magnetic. But like, I'll teach you to lie so well, he'll thank you while you stab him in, his back, in the back. Translation, I, Farouk, am lying to you and will stab you in the back. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, exactly. Could he say it more clearly? I am so good at lying that I will work against you and you will think I'm on your side. Yeah. Meanwhile, like, I'm on your side. Don't doubt that. Yeah, I'm very charming. Get a clue, people. Like, what? Why are they suddenly working with him when he was. They know what he's done in the past. And the threat, the imminent threat of David doesn't make Farouk trustworthy. No. Like it, I could kind of see it makes him a begrudging ally, but mm-hmm. they're treating him like a trusted ally. Yeah. And that is a problem. Yeah. So we come back to Carrie. In the in the room with the giant clock, Carrie wakes and finds the door locked. When a woman arrives with food, he follows her so closely she can't see him and then leaves the room. <laughs> he wanders through the halls and finds the giant sow. Eventually, he finds himself in David's cavern and David appears behind him. David questions him about the trial and Carrie begs for his life. But David influences his mind to get him to magnify Switch's powers. Lenny gasses him. Then Carrie wakes in her room with a vanity mirror at the center. He sees female Carrie in the reflection and brushes her hair as they recite the periodic table. He opens a wardrobe and finds himself in Carrie's clothes, staring at a mirror in an image of her in his clothes. She comes out of the mirror and they dance together in their opposite clothes. She tries to lead, and they fight, and then Carrie becomes David. Once again, Carrie wakes, this time in a kitchen with Switch. She explains the hallway of time and shows him to his lab, where Lenny waits. Lenny questions when and what David is going to do, and Carrie says he's going to save the world. Credits. I have to, like, uh squee of it about how much I love Bill Irwin's clowning in this room mm-hmm. to to escape. I I think we've mentioned it before, but if as a, if you didn't know, like Bill Irwin, male Carrie, uh, is a clown as well as an actor. Yeah. And you can see like you can tell. Yeah. The way he moves. The way he moves. I love it. First of all, I love it when they give him the chance to use his clowning skills. Mm-hmm. This is one of the like 
most bizarre and also amazing examples of that. You watch this and you think like, oh yeah, Bill Irwin was Mr. Wiggle on (laughs) Sesame Street. Yep. Like, you you definitely believe it, I think, in this scene. He is both amazing, uh, amazingly talented and, like, hilarious and, like, does it all with a, uh, with, like, a Buster Keaton deadpan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, this is, like, a silent movie cleverness and the way he just like follows her around the room and like and you're like why doesn't he just go out the door oh he has to go get his jacket yeah. so he has to make it go around and he also plays with the cutlery mm-hmm. and the spoon um this is something we've seen before with him yep. he held up a spoon to like against like Lenny when she was first starting to manifest mm-hmm. so like Carrie, the inventor of all sorts of like weapons and crazy things, his he's very pacifist and like his weapon of choice is like a spoon. Yeah. Yeah. And he, his own he invents weapons for other people to use. A lot of the time, the weapons, the, a lot of the time, the tech he invents is uh, defensive. Yes, that's true. But not always. Yeah, the spoon. I was thinking that when he uses the spoon against, as like a ward against Lenny, the way you would put up a cross against a vampire, it's like uh, comically inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And here, it's completely effective. Yeah. Like he has complete mastery over it now. Mm-hmm. And over his environment. I, I, I can't say enough about how much I love that little sequence. Yeah, it's an amazing sequence. And then he exits the room and kind of tours around the house. He sees the giant sow and his expression is exactly like my expression, your expression, (laughs) the whole audience's expression of like, what? (laughs) What is with the giant pig? Yeah. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. I keep thinking... Like, we're, we're way past when you said it, but I keep thinking about how the giant animals are maybe actually literally a sign that they are small. Mm-hmm. That seems like it would be within, well within David's powers. Yep. It's this little dollhouse. And it makes me think, like, what is David's cave? If I see that as they're all really small, does that object, does that, that shape make sense to me? It doesn't. But like, anyway, yeah. Uh, so he gets to they get to that cave, that room, whatever it is. And like, David says, David talks about the trial, and Carrie says we saw it as an intervention. Mm-hmm. Carrie still. I mean, he's afraid of David. Don't kill me. But he still is like. presenting things to David like maybe David will come back and be on our side again yeah exactly. like on our side but or under our like we thought it was an intervention we wanted to help you and I still do mm-hmm absolutely you know mm-hmm I like Carrie so much <laughs> me too me too the moment when he's in the, like cavern cave thing and suddenly David like 
appears yeah is just creepy yep it's very like horror movie suddenly the villain is right there behind you thing mm-hmm. and where was he i think he was there yeah but invisible, invisible. Interesting. just the effect the way that he appears is not like the way that he pops into existence sometimes he mm-hmm. kind of uh it's a quick fade but he kind of fades in yeah instead of popping in it's true and maybe i'm reading too much into that effect but that's what i read mm-hmm. and this is where carrie says what we've been talking about all episode of like the what you said is the central theme of the episode mm-hmm. your mind can't reconcile the person we see with the person you think you are yeah that's an interesting exchange because david like that's what david starts with carrie and then when carrie says that david's like yeah okay whatever yeah exactly like, why did david bring it up even is it so that we the re the audience can know can remember that maybe yeah Yeah, I'm not sure why David brought it up. It's, uh, why does David, why does, sorry, why does Lenny gas Carrie when, like, he was being convinced David was, like, in his head does he need, like, the drugs as an influencer? And if the drugs are excreted by David, mm-hmm. they're like, uh, caution, I'm about to make a very geeky reference. They're like the one ring <laughs> that Sauron used, takes the power outside himself to strengthen his power. Like, okay. David puts a lot of his power into the drugs. Okay. You know? Yeah. So that, so Carrie needs the drugs to, in order to... Maybe. I thought, though, also, like, in world, I think that's probably the reason that the drugs are David's power. Mm-hmm. Made physical and more potent because of that. But also, like, uh, what, ha- what they do to Carrie is kind of a three-beat, where first David tells Lenny you're happy now. Then Lenny gives Squirrel the drugs to make him do what they want. And then Lenny and David both tell Carrie you're happy and give him drugs. So it's mm. like both what Len- both what David did to Lenny and what Lenny did to Squirrel at the same time to Carrie. Hmm. That's not really a th- what a three beat is, but it's like the third part in yeah. this building how to influence someone's mind. Although, I wonder about the drugs especially, like, it seems like Carrie's getting the red stuff. Yeah. Because the penguin's face is red. Mm-hmm. Faceless penguin. So creepy, by the way. So creepy. <laughs> but if you get the red stuff, not the blue, won't that make him, like, unruly or whatever? Unclear. It seems to make him totally on board with david's plan Mm -hmm. yeah i think what you said about it being a stimulant instead of a depressant makes Hmm. sense because carrie is not 
like gonna go to sleep he's like ready to build the thing and he is all excited yeah. he's all his usual carry self in the lab it doesn't make him aggressive but it does make him uh riled up yeah hmm. he's um so what do we make of this scene in this flowered room with him and carrie there together well i thought first the pattern on the wall makes me think of a teapot Hmm. So it's like again, like a dollhouse. A... Yeah, that's interesting. It's like a room on the inside of a teapot. Mm-hmm. Although no, the inside wouldn't be decorated, but it, you know, yeah, gives that impression. Mm-hmm. And then Carrie and Carrie are learning their elements, and I looked up like the elements they say: cesium, zirconium, tungsten. Mm-hmm. So, cesium's atomic number is fifty-five. Mm-hmm. Zirconium's atomic number is 40. Tungsten's atomic number is 74. They aren't all in a row. No. They aren't all next to each other. They aren't even in ascending order. Like, why these three? Hmm. They're all metals. What are their letters? Uh, C, Z, W. Hmm. C, E, Z, W. Because she repeats the W over and over and over. Yeah. C-E... I, I didn't actually... Zirconium was probably Z-I. Mm-hmm. W. C-E-Z-I-W. Hmm. Doesn't spell something. No. And then, like... Cesium... I had a moment of, like, cesium and zirconium are soft metals, easily malleable. But tungsten is the opposite. Hmm. So... I just, I'm not sure. No. <laughs> maybe there, maybe there isn't anything. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they're just, they anything. picked three elements, but mm-hmm. like, I spent a little while thinking about these three elements and what they might mean. The other thing I found, I thought of is that it probably means nothing at all. Tungsten has the highest melting point of any element. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to stop now because I don't think it's getting anywhere. <laughs> they have this dance mm-hmm. that starts between Carrie and Carrie. Mm-hmm. And we've seen through the whole show moments of. I mean conflict between Carrie and Carrie uh, over like dominance yeah over who's in charge mm-hmm. of their shared body their shared existence and they've kind of they've had moments of real uh conflict at the end of season one mm-hmm. and they have resolved it and like learned to trust each other even more and and then here we have them dancing together and that dance turns into a like a power struggle again. Yeah, well, I mean, last season we had Carrie on the inside mm-hmm. of instead of on the outside, which was a very different experience for them. Yeah. So even before David gets involved, like them in each other's clothes, them sh- struggling over who is leading... 
It's like a metaphor of their whole relationship mm-hmm. all along. Mm-hmm. And then she turns into David. And so I feel like this is Carrie, this is David getting into Carrie's head mm-hmm. and influencing him in the same way that female Carrie does. Or more profoundly. More profoundly, yeah. Because he only becomes, female Carrie only becomes David after male Carrie has agreed to let her lead. Mm-hmm. So it's like David is manipulating that Carrie is used to this power struggle dynamic. And uh, David is hiding the power struggle behind one that Carrie's already familiar with mm-hmm. until Biller when Carrie loses that struggle. Yeah. And only then does David reveal that the struggle hasn't been with female Carrie, which is a struggle that Carrie is okay with losing. It has been with David, but it's too late now. Yep. Um, Carrie speaks Japanese. Yeah. So when he gets to uh, meet with Switch, he speaks her language. He understands her. and I mean, it's only briefly that they speak Japanese together. But if we see, if we see Lenny not understanding switch metaphorically as not speaking her language or understanding her mm-hmm. then it really matters that the first conversation carrie and switch have is in japanese and yeah. carrie gets her yeah exactly yeah totally which is going to be important to i think to making her able to, to for him to be able to increase her powers if he understands her yeah he'll be able to work with her i mean that would make sense mm-hmm. um the cups that they're drinking out of mm-hmm. are Mondrian's. Yep. Uh, which, I don't know if that has a lot of significance, but it is very similar to season one. We had, every mm. time the credits came up, we had these squares. Yeah. And then it turned out to be Clark's, like... Uh, vitals. Vitals in the hospital. Uh-huh. And these Mondrian squares feel like a, like a reference to that. Even, yeah, maybe I saw those Mondrians and I couldn't think of what they might like. They're visually striking, but I mm-hmm. thought there must, I thought there was something more to them, and maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah. I think also we're seeing. I mean, we're obsessed with circles in the first season and hexagons in the second season, and I think we're getting more variety of shapes. Yep, and squares are one of them. Hmm. And octagons are going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just to pay attention to those little shapes around them. We're going to see more and we're going to see uh, a more variety of shapes in this season, I is, predict. And is that like Switch is wearing a variety of colors? Mm-hmm. We have a whole new thing. Hmm. I love when Lenny takes... When Lenny and Carrie are in the lab, and Carrie starts explaining the whole thing, and Lenny hits herself in the head with her hammer, <laughs> there's just this quick little moment yep. that Audrey Plaza is hilarious. Yep. <laughs> it's just really... like, bang. Yep. I don't care about your techno mumble jumbo. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, that we start this episode with the music telling us that what Charlie Brown wants is that new girl yesterday who smiled at me, she might like me. And we have David and Sid. So we start with 
the girl. Mm-hmm. And we end with save the world. Yeah. It's not about the girl anymore. Mm-hmm. And what does Carrie know now that he's that he's confident that David is going to save the world? What has what has David put in his mind? Hmm. Yeah. He seems to know more of David's plan than Lenny does. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. So that's the end of the episode. We cut to our credits. Mm-hmm. And tell me a bit about all the songs in this episode. So we open with Oh Good Grief by the Vince Garaldi Trio. Uh, and that's the During the Cold Open as David mm. meditates and Sid broods. And the lyrics, we hear a lot of them very clearly. I'm, uh, but it says, Oh, you've lost 900 baseball games and we kids all love to call you names and you never learn to fly a kite and you're penless so you cannot write. At lunch, you sit alone and mope. You're a wishy-washy kind of dope. Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, you don't have one hope. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. That little girl who's new smiled at me, smiled at me at lunch today. And tonight I will go home and pray that tomorrow she might come and say, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, I'm glad to know you. And the song goes on, but that's all we hear of it. Mm-hmm. We've talked in a different context in our show, uh, Way Too Seriously, where we analyze kids' movies. We've talked about Peanuts from time to time. Mm-hmm. Once, most, especially when we watched the movie, the Peanuts movie. But we've talked about it. It's come up more than once. And the little red-headed girl that this is referencing in Peanuts is like a problem taken literally, but very... Uh, sweet taken metaphorically mm-hmm. that peanuts kind of treats her as a reward for charlie a potential reward for charlie brown and that's dehumanizing of her but she also symbolizes the potential of uh like a childhood innocence and a potential and hope and a potential for uh all the affection and recognition from his peers that charlie brown is missing out on mm-hmm. through the whole run of the comics and all the movies and stuff. Yeah. And there's a similar thing, like... So, it, Sid represents a potential of child, childish innocence for David. But only when she's a metaphor. Hmm. Yep. When she's a person, she's that's a problem. That he sees her like Charlie Brown's redheaded girl. Mm-hmm. And he sees himself like Charlie Brown... But that only works if you don't let the little redheaded girl be a person. Hmm. Right? Yep. But it's also like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting choice of song, I must say. It felt like last episode we were so... We were with Switch until she got to David and then Sid kind of shows up and shoots him a couple of times and we're really encouraged in the last episode to be on David's side Mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. And then we start this episode with Charlie Brown. We're again sympathetic with David and he just wants to 
be loved like Charlie Brown does, and the episode turns on us. Mm-hmm. And we see so much, I mean, especially in their conversation, I do not think we are at all encouraged to be on David's side during Sid and David's conversation. No. So they, uh, this again, this this opening song is kind of setting us up. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I didn't think of this till I just said it, but what's one of the first lines of dialogue? We're on the wrong foot. Hmm. Squirrel says it. So we start with the song, David is Charlie Brown, and if only the girl would smile at him, he would be happy again. And then the dialogue says, we're on the wrong foot. Hmm. That's interesting. The next song... Um, while during the opening credits, so this is all like before the credits, but then during the opening credits and while Switch is listening to headphones, we have First Wave Intact by Secret Machines. And that goes, the open way's too dangerous. Listen close, they're watching us. One more time, you're losing us. Hold still, they're shooting us. First wave down. I wonder when they're coming back. First wave down. As leaves from modern trees rest on walls like these, I wonder what you're waiting for. I wonder what you're waiting for. I wonder what you're living for. I wonder what you're dying for. First wave down. I wonder when they're coming back. First wave intact. As leaves from modern trees rest on walls like these, the rest is theft. The walls don't move, don't change. Does it make you feel ashamed? No dreams, no curse. Could we make things even worse? Don't mean it's right but it makes you see the light. Hmm. I feel like this is uh, fitting in the episode, but I don't know if it's... I mean, like, first wave down, Switch is the one who can go back, and, like, the first wave was the last episode. That was Division... The Division's first attack. That was their first wave. The first wave is down, but the first wave is intact. And when will they come back, Sid... I mean, Switch is there to prepare for when they come back. It's like the whole idea of the, uh, of Switch's preparation and then of Sid and, uh, uh, Farouk's conversation about strategy is like their first wave was what we saw last episode and now they're going to try again. Hmm. And when are they going to come back? And even it makes me think like it's goes along with Switch listening on her headphones, but I feel like it's most more appropriate in Farouk and Sid's conversation because the mm-hmm. opening line there, the open way's too dangerous, listen close, they're watching us. That's basically what Farouk tells Sid. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um and then we have playing while they're drive like while they're going to the woods to the mad mm-hmm. tea party, mm-hmm. so the overhead shots of the van, and then when they first arrive at the tea party, we have glimpses by the yardbirds. And this is, an, I mean, it's a super interesting song because the actual singing is just, ah, and then there's a voiceover talking mm. these words. Um, and so the words that the voice talks is, Glimpses of cloud in a forest can reveal well within us 
and to never linger on one is life. Energy radiates from the source. The life around us is but a reflection of our own, flowing within never-ending boundless infinity. Time is just a cumular limit, which, with one glimpse, can overcome. Hmm. First of all, before I even move on, like the Yardbirds, uh, do you know who the Yardbirds are? No. It's not really relevant for the show, but uh, I was excited when we had the Yardbirds because the Yardbirds were a band, a British band. Their first guitarist was Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton left, and their next guitarist was Jeff Beck, who you may not have heard of, but is also on the list of, like, went on to be the list of 100 greatest rock guitarists ever. Mm -hmm. And then when uh, Jeff Beck left, he was replaced by Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. Right. So this band had, like, their three guitarists are, like, the three three of the best guitarists in the world, (laughs) one after another. Mm Mm-hmm. Not really relevant for Legion, but just, like, they're a really interesting band. Mm-hmm. And this song, this, these words, I mean, they're, they're psychedelic. The life around us is but a, refle- the life around us is but a reflection of our own. Flowing within never-ending, boundless infinity. And this is, like, both the, uh... Again, we see it from two different perspectives. It's both the, like, a really, we're all one. David teaches us that we're all brothers, man. But also, everyone is just an extension of me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Yeah. There's different ways. There's, like, a dark side of that way of seeing things. Which is where David is. And that time is just a cumular limit, which with one glimpse can overcome. And time is a cumular limit. Uh, cumular is barely a word. <laughs> like, it has, like, it, it basically, if you look up in the Oxford English Dictionary, cumular limit is the title of a Yardbirds album. <laughs> and is, like, 1870s, uh, you know, like, is, has two or three citations other than that. Yeah. But it basically means, like, cumulonimbus or cumulus clouds, like, piled yeah. up. Hmm. So time is a piled up limit, mm-hmm. which with one glimpse can overcome. And that's, again, like, what this whole season is about with the Switch as a time traveler. Yeah. And then finally, uh, Heaven is in Your Mind by Traffic. This is what plays while... Uh, Carrie and Carrie and then Carrie and David are dancing. Mm. And it says, it goes, You ride on the swing, in and out of the bars, capturing moments of life in a jar, playing with children, acting as stars, guiding your visions to heaven, and heaven is in your mind. Take extra care not to lose what you feel. The apple you're eating is simple and real. So water the flowers that grow at your heel, guiding your visions to heaven. And heaven is in your mind. Well, that remind the simple apple really reminds me of like the cookies made at home. Yeah. Don't eat the machine things. Yeah, simple and real. Mm-hmm. 
as opposed to artificial and uh, mechanical. Mechanical, yeah. But then also, a song about heaven is in your mind is playing while David is getting into uh, Carrie's mind mm-hmm. and manipulating his, so that he's, you know, it's about, uh, again, it's a message with two meanings, mm-hmm. a light and a dark one. Yeah, absolutely. Heaven is in your mind can be very uh, sunny mm-hmm. as a message. But it also is like, there's you can't trust the world and what you see and what you think even. Yeah. And there is nothing except thinking makes it so. And I quote Hamlet, there's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. To me, Denmark's a prison. Mm-hmm. To carry heaven is in his mind. David is in his mind. He's happy, but that makes him trapped. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he's definitely a prisoner. So that's the music. I don't have a lot to say about the clothes, except that I want to draw attention to Lenny's clothes. Okay. Which have changed a lot this season. They have. And she's definitely wearing a lot more blue. Mm-hmm. Like the drugs. And in fact, in the scene in Carrie's lab, she's wearing like a blue flowered shirt and the flowers look almost like these flowers we've seen that have like the drugs inside of them somehow. Right. So... It's... I'm something, it's something I'm going to pay attention to, but I feel like Lenny is suddenly blue Mm -hmm. associated with the drugs where she used to be not that at all. She has changed so much over the course of these three seasons that there's not a specific color, not a specific theme of her clothes. I mean, she was, yeah, she was orange in Clockworks and she was, and red. Red. Red in Clockworks. She was red. She's been red in the past, and now she's blue. And she was black sometimes when she mm-hmm. was actually Farouk. Yeah. She tends to dress in monochromes, but not the same from scene to scene. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Very blue. And her eyes are blue now. Yep. Too. Why is it blue? It's always it's blue. It's always blue. All right. All right. So this was a interesting episode. Lots to think about. Lots to consider mm-hmm. if you want to talk with us about it uh you can add us on twitter at clockworkscast you can also find us on uh facebook reddit uh just on our patreon page you can comment in the comment box there even if you don't support us but please support us <laughs> patreon.com slash clockworkscast where you can help us uh do better at podcasting yeah there anything else we say here? Uh, there's other things in the show notes. Reddit and Instagram and Facebook. Um, All right. But I think that's about it. Thank you very much for listening, for supporting us. Even just listening is supporting us. Tell your friends about this podcast so that more people get to hear it. Because then they will love you because we are so great. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. Goodbye.